the whole story of Purim is the story of theodicy. Theodicy, that word that we've used many times, which really just means how do you make lemonade out of lemons, right? How, do you, how are you able to reconcile the existence of evil and the, uh, all that seems to be bad for human beings? And how do you find the silver lining? That's really the Purim story. The Purim story is that through a truly tragic series of events, the temple is destroyed. The Jews start to assimilate. And things really decline significantly for the Jewish people. You know, historians talk about the cognitive dissonance that the Jewish people experienced after the destruction of the temple. We were told that this temple would exist forever, that once it was built, it would usher in the Messianic age. And here we are, 410 years later, the temple is destroyed. The Jews are sent into exile. And all of our dreams and all of our hopes and aspirations have been dashed on the rocks. How do we pick up the pieces and construct a theodicy that allows us to cope with a diaspora existence? Where do we see the hopeful future amidst all of the pain and the suffering? That's what the Purim story is all about. And essentially, what m many of the commentaries see in the Purim story is a way of finding redemption and joy because things appear to be very, very bad, but really it is a necessary descent so that we can re-emerge on the other side as even better, as even better than we were before. And many times people have to go through very painful experiences in life in order to be able to emerge in a more mature way and in, in a more developed way that had I not gone through that very, very difficult, challenging period in life, I never would have been able to emerge on the other side as the whole person that I am today. That's really the Purim story in a nutshell if you want to be able to see the overarching theme. And so I want to present to you two commentaries that build on that idea. One is Hasidish, one is Rav Hutner, who's a shtickle Hasidish. And we'll see how much of it we can get out of this idea today. The Avnei Nezer, who represents the dynasty of Sachachev, um, and his descendants, <coughs> are continuing to come out with a series of svarim called Naot Deshe, having to do with the Torah of the Avnei Nezer of the Avraham of Sachachev. And so this is one of the pieces that I was able to pull out, a small little piece. It goes on the words of the psalm that we sing, the, 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 lit, the liturgical hymn that we sing after we read the Megillah. Shoshanas Yaakov, the rose of Jacob. Filled with rejoicing and happiness. Right? When witnessing the blue thread of Mordechai's regal clothing at the end of the story. And then it says, The redemption and the salvation of the Jewish people was forever. The tikvatam b'chol dor vador. 
and their hope and their optimism remains from generation to generation. So that's the, that's the hymn. It sounds beautiful, but what does it mean? So there's a lot to discuss about the whole idea of why the Jewish people are called the Shoshana in this particular hymn. We know that in Shir Hashirim, the Jewish people are called a Shoshana. Shoshana ben hacholchim, kein rayati ben habanot, like a rose among the thorns, so is my beloved Israel. Like a, like a sheep among the wolves, or a rose among the thorns. But it sort of is indicative of the delicacy of the Jewish people as well, that we're very, very dainty, and we're vulnerable, and yet Hashem always protects us. So what is being conveyed? That's something that we'll have to, we're not going to focus primarily on, but the Avi Nezer discusses that as well. But for this particular shtickle, he says, L'chora harei teshuasam haitarak lizman. He says, how can you tell me that the salvation of Purim was an eternal salvation? It's not true. The Jewish people have had peaks and valleys ever since that time. From, from time immemorial, we've had wonderful victories and we've had awesome failures. And we've suffered tremendously since the miracle of Purim. So how can you tell me, that the, that the victory lasts forever, the redemption lasts forever. The Nireh Bi'uro Al Pimash Omer Kabod Kedushat Zikeni Bal So the author writes that my grandfather, the Avnei Nezer, stated as follows. The Ita B'Sifrei Chachmei Ha'emet, he says, because as the Kabbalists describe, Sha'amalek Hu Da'at Diklipa. Amalek is described in Zoharic literature as the intellect of the husks. You know that the world is comprised of husks or shells and sparks of glory contained within those shells. So when we talk about the impurities and the, the discards, the undesirable things of, that Hashem has in this world, we talk about them as in terms of the klipa, the rind or the peel, that is the discard. Amalek represents the discarded part of knowledge or intellect. So what is that supposed to mean? What is true knowledge? The knowledge that God wants us to have is he wants us to be able to identify our position vis-a-vis -vis the divine. What is true knowledge? True knowledge is to know where I am in this in the scheme of things. And the true the, the truest reality is God. So as long as I know my relationship, my vector, as far as where I'm positioned vis-a-vis -vis Hashem, that's true das, that's true knowledge. But that has a good side and it has a bad side. Moshe Rabbeinu, shehaya b'chinat hadat, amad min hatzad velo nichnas lamishkanat shikaralo. Moshe Rabbeinu represents the beauty of that knowledge, to know that I am so far and distant from Hashem that it is only through the kindness of God that He calls to me so that I can enter into the Holy of Holies, into the Mishkan. That's the positive side of knowledge, of awareness, of knowing my relationship with Hashem. It, it leads me to humility and to gratitude to Hashem that despite my, the vast difference the vast distance between myself and Hashem, 
I know that I can have a relationship with him, but I have to wait for him to call me forward. That's, that's what's represented by Moshe's understanding. But Amalek, what does Amalek represent? Da'as deklipahi gam kein ki'inyan hazeh. Amalek represents the same thing. Amalek also made the Jewish people aware of their distance from Hashem. But there's a downside to that. Ela sha'al yedekachu mekararo umapilo liyeush nora ula'atzvut shezegaru ameakol. What does Amalek do? The role of Amalek is to make the Jew feel the sense of inadequacy, of distance, of feeling a sense of despair because I am so distant from Hashem, and to ultimately to depression because there's no way that I can have a proper relationship with the, the Almighty God. That's what Amalek's role was. We're going to read about it this Shabbos. Remember what Amalek did to you. Asher karach abaderech. They cooled you off, so to speak. On the road, they made you feel like you were insignificant. They made you feel like, after all of your accomplishments, you're nothing. How many of us have had that kind of Amalek in our lives? The kind of Amalek that says to you, are you sure you're up to this? You know, when you're about to embark on something amazing? <clears throat> are you sure you're able to do this? They instill you with that sense of doubt. I don't like people like that. There are so many people that try to pull us down. Do you ever, you ever encounter, is it only me? Do you ever, have you ever encountered people that have filled you with that sense of doubt? That maybe you're just not cut out for what you think you're cut out for? People do that all the time. People do that because of their own insecurities. We have to appreciate that. But that's essentially what Amalek is all about. Amalek is, Amalek's role is to fill the Jew, the Jewish people, the Jewish individual, with that sense of inadequacy, and which will lead to despair, and will lead to a sense of, let me just give up, it's not worth it. I, he's right, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm just going to forget about it. Yeah. Is that the same thing as the Yetzir Hara? It's a form of the Yetzir Hara. Yeah, Amalek is definitely associated with the Yetzir Hara. Okay. Place cold water on something comes from. Yeah, that's right, it is. <laughs> He says, the beautiful commentary of the Shemi Shmuel, who's the son of the Sachachavah, son of the Avnei Nezer. And he comments that at the very end of the Torah, the, towards the end of Sefer Devarim, where the Torah is describing what will happen at the end of days, a Jew will say, he says, oh my, all of these terrible things have come upon me. And the Jew will say on that day, God must not be in my midst because that, and that's the reason why all of these terrible travails have befallen me. And then Hashem says right afterwards, it is on that day that I will hide my face from you. So But that's the question. If the Jews have already acknowledged that we have sinned and that's why God is not with us anymore, why then does the Pasuk then afterwards say that I will hide my face on that day? If we've already acknowledged God is not with us, oh my gosh, it's because of our sins that all of these things have happened, that God has left us, 
Why then does God say, oh, then I will hide my face? What do you mean? Don't hide your face now. We've just done, we've just said vidoy. We've just confessed. Now we understand. The answer is, is because a Jew can never say, God is not in my midst. Even at the darkest hour, a Jew has to acknowledge that God is in my midst. Now remember, what did, I, what did, what did the Jewish people say right before Amalek came for the first time? They said, Hayesh Hashem bikirbenu imayin. Is God in our midst or not? And that's, that's when Vayavo Amalek. mehachet. says, that's actually worse than sin. It's one thing to commit an Avera. Avera is fleeting. You, everyone makes mistakes. Everyone gives in to their evil inclination. Everyone uh, it, uh, indulges themselves sometimes when they shouldn't. But to then say, because I have sinned, God has left me, that's worse than the sin itself. Because at least a sinner has hope. Okay, I messed up, but I can do better. Hashem will help me. Hashem will be there for me. But a person who gives up, a person who says, ah, God's given up on me, that person has no hope. You know, you, you, you ever see that in a child? A child is finally broken when he feels that no one believes in me anymore. Everyone's given up on me. And the child just <coughs> shuts down. Those are the types of students that we have to build up in order to be able to get them going again. It's one thing to grade a child fairly on his, his or her performance, but it's another thing to make the child feel that they can't accomplish anything. That's Amalek. And he says, and that's the whole reason why Esther is associated with Hester Panim. The Gemara says, Esther min ha-Torah minayin, shenemar ve'onuchi haster astir. Where do we see a, a, an allusion to Esther in the Torah? This very pasuk that God says, I will hide my face. The temple was destroyed because of our sins. There's no question about it. But Esther emerges on the scene not just because we're at a time when we're being punished, but because God has concealed himself because we gave up on ourselves. That's why Haman came. Haman came because Haman was a manifestation of the despair and the just the complete giving up of the Jewish people at that time. But here's what a person has to say to himself. I know I may be very far from God. I know that there have been a lot of things that have created barriers between myself and Hashem. But at the end of the day, I'm part of the Jewish people. The Jewish people are God's beloved. I'm part of an amazing nation. And therefore, I can certainly uh, achieve the light and the basking in the light of God. 
And he says, and he says, therefore, it seems to me that this is what we mean when we sing the hymn of Chuasam Hayisa Lanetzach. The victory of Purim was eternal. The Bipurim Laachar Mechiyatam Aleik, Dat de Klipa, Zachu Shaaf Pamlo Yiplu This was what emerged from the Purim victory. Of course, the Jews would go through future iterations of suffering and Hamans and persecutions and Hitlers and and uh, and massacres and pogroms, no question. But what emerged from Purim is a an attitude of that no matter how far we may find ourselves from Hashem, we will never ever despair ever again. We will never completely feel that all is lost. We'll never lose hope. And that's why it says, V'tikvatam, our hope will endure, even at the darkest times. And therefore, as long as there is hope, as long as there are trust, there is a belief in redemption, then we're, we're still connected. And that's why we say in this hymn that this is what was the aftermath of the Purim victory. Not an eternal physical victory, but an eternal victory of the mind. An eternal victory and a sense of hope that no matter how distant we may become, no matter how dark the days of the Jewish people may become, there will always be tomorrow. There will always be that connection that we will never be completely severed from Hashem. So that's what the poor miracle succeeded in doing. It showed that no matter how distant and no matter how deep the despair of the Jewish people was in the Gullahs, there's always a way to emerge from the darkness. That's what Purim taught us. And so if there's anything to celebrate on Purim, I would suggest that that's a great thing to celebrate. It really represented the key to our being able to cope with all of the dark periods of Jewish history. Just knowing that no matter how bad things get, there will always be a next chapter of emergence and redemption and salvation. Okay, so that's point number one. And we'll just finish with this very brief one from Rav Huttner, um, from the Pachat Yitzchak, point number two. Memchet nevim amdu lahem Israel, v'kulam lo pachtu v'lo hutiru elam mikra Megillah bilvad. There's a Gemara in Megillah that says that there were 48 prophets in the post Chumash, uh, uh, the post Sinai period. 48 prophets that prophesied for the Jewish people and whose words are recorded in the Holy Scriptures in the Nach. The only thing that was ever added as far as religious observance by those prophets was the laws of Purim. Because when you read all of the prophets, Yirmiya, Yeshaya, Yechezkel, they don't give us new mitzvahs. They don't give us new observances. They don't give us new rites that we're supposed to perform. The only thing that we get from the post-Mosaic prophets, as far as new observance, is the mitzvah of Purim. So the question then is why? What, what makes Purim unique? Why is Purim unique? Why is this? Why is it that Purim is the only thing that was added in Nach as far as religious observance? Ella says the answer is Sha'al Yitro Hager Harishon Ne'emar Ma shema uba. He says, let's think about Yitro. 
Yisra, Moshe's father-in-law, the very first convert discussed in the Torah. Bless him. So the, the Gemara asks, what did he hear to make him come join the Jews in the desert? And one answer is Milchemes Amalek. He heard about the war with Amalek. And the way we know this is because right after the discussion of the war with Amalek at the end of Parshas B'Shalach, we immediately go into Parshas Yisrael, by Yishma Yisrael. So Yisrael heard, what did he hear? So one of the things that he heard, according to the, to the Medrash, is that he heard about the war with Amalek. Now, let's think about this. The Amr al-Zechachamim, late takeh, Upeti Ya'arim, that the scoffer shall strike and the fool shall deceive. So late takeze amalek, upeti ya'arim ze yitro. So the Medrash says the fool will strike, this refers to Amalek. And the, uh, the, the, the scoffer will strike, that refers to Amalek. The fool will deceive, this refers to Yisrael. What does this mean? That Yarim could also mean not deceive, but it could mean will be cunning. The, the fool shall become cunning um, through the scoffer's strike. And therefore the Medrash reads it as follows. The Medrash reads it as that through the downfall of Amalek, we are able to increase a new convert to the Jewish people. The Yisrael And when you think about it, since there's been an increase, a net increase to the Jewish people as a result of the Purim story, as a result of the destruction of Amalek, uh, that's why the Torah gets an increase. That just like the downfall of Amalek adds letters uh, uh, brings Jews to become, being, brings, causes non-Jews to become Jewish, so too the downfall of Amalek also causes the Torah to be augmented. And that's the reason why the prophets added the laws of Purim to, they augmented it because the destruction of Amalek results in an augmentation of the Jewish people. And if the Jewish people are augmented as a result of the destruction of Amalek, so then the Torah has to be augmented as well, because we are augmented equally. So let's just get to the bottom line of what Rav Huttner is saying. We know it this, in the story of the Megillah, it, say, it says after this whole story unfolds that the Jewish people are able to wipe out Haman and his henchmen, it says, that there were many, many people in Persia who became Jewish, or at least the word mityahadim is very difficult to translate. It means they became Judaized. And it's not clear what that means if then it says they became Judaized. Does that mean they became converts? Does it mean, does it mean they became uh, 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 philo-Semites? Does it mean that they started to just, you know, the Jew, Jew sympathizers, it's really not clear what it means, but, but one thing is clear is that as a result of the destruction of Amalek, good things happen. Good things happen. 
And again, this speaks to that, what we started with at the beginning. The theodicy of Purim is that whenever the Jewish people go through dark periods in our history, we will always emerge with something as long as we can achieve, we will always re achieve some level of redemption as a result of having gone through that darkness. And for Rav Huttner it is the attachment to the Jewish people that results. Uh, you know, we can even look at it in our own period in, uh, in, in history. That as a result of the Shoah, the darkest period in Jewish history, there was a sense of redemption, a sense of newness, and even one could argue a new a level of observance because all of the laws of Eretz Yisrael became practicable once again with the return to Zion. So it was almost like Amalek is destroyed. People become lovers of the Jews where they previously become haters of the Jews because they now sympathize with the Jewish plight. They sympathize with the Holocaust. And our, there's now an augmentation not only of Jews, there's an augmentation of the Torah of the Jews that Hashem rewards us by allowing us to return to Zion and, and, and fulfill again the laws of, of Eretz Yisrael. So these are just two perspectives that I thought that I would share with you. The one perspective having to do with the eternality, the eternal sense of optimism that results of the story of Purim. And the second one is that the aftermath of Purim results in an augmentation of both the Jewish people and of the Torah as a result of Purim. But it's important to remember that the story of Purim is a story that should speak to us in every generation in a sense. Have a great day, everyone. <laughs>